We thank you, Jesus, for the privilege to study the Word of God. Thank you for the Word, O oh Lord. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, your kindness. Thank you for the grace of God that you have bestowed upon us. We ask you to bless this service. Touch every heart here this morning, Lord. Bless all of our classes in session at this time and the morning service that is yet to come. We glorify and praise and worship in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. Tell them they look nice today. Praise God. Before I get started in my lesson today, I would like to just make mention to you that we are uh, in a program called Reading the Bible Through. And if you have not started, it isn't too late. This is the second Sunday. Am I right? What? Well, yeah. Uh, the second Sunday that we're going in today is the uh, 14th. And uh, we're already, isn't that amazing, halfway through January already? But uh, if, you'll, if you want to get started, Without having to go back and catch up and everything, you can get on. Uh, you can get on to the uh, get one of these brochures like this. You get them out front, and they've got all the lessons in here. It's a very unique system this year that we're using. What it is is reading about two two scriptures in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, and then ever so often you'll read some scriptures, some chapters in Psalms, about three, maybe three Psalms or two, depending on how long they are. And it's all coordinated so they all come out together at the very end. That way, as you read the Old Testament, you're also reading the New Testament and also reading some of the Psalms. So it's very uniquely put together so that we can read the Bible through in a very uh, easy manner and a very enjoyable manner. And uh, we are in, today is the 11th, so am I right? 14th, I'm sorry. And we're in Genesis 27, 28. 27, 28 Genesis and then also in Matthew uh, so anyhow, I just want to encourage all of you that's not involved to get involved. And if you have not yet started, just pick up where you are in the chart. And you can always go back and pick up and read those first several chapters. Not several, but uh, those first chapters in the book of Genesis. Because by the time we get through, uh, in, by 11 more weeks, we'll be into Exodus here. So I'm just encouraging you to get on board now. And uh, you'll enjoy it and many interesting and wonderful things that we'll be looking at and talking about. All right, God bless you. I want to teach on something here this morning that is one of the most interesting Bible studies in the entire Bible. It's one that a lot of people do not understand. And I'm going to try to help you to get a hold of it today because once you see this and know this, it will absolutely just stir your heart. And uh, it's about the temple. And the temple is a very major thing to the Jewish people. Uh, I was in a meeting with uh, apostolic preachers, about 300 of us up in Washington, D.C., a number of years ago. And we met with the ambassador of Israel uh, to the U.S. And uh, we were all in this room together. And uh, as he was talking to us about Israel and explaining to us, we, to, to, to him, we were just another Protestant group there, but we were... Jesus name apostolics there and uh, and somebody raised their hand and they, they said when will the temple be built <laughs> that was a big question when will the temple be built and uh, he said well that's a very good question and then 
and, uh, and he went into talking about it and it was discussed quite a bit because Israel is very much in their temple being built. The reason that it's not built is because on that very spot where the temple used to sit is the Dome of the Rock. It's, it's, it's the uh, third most sacred place in all of the Muslim world and they are very protective of it and it's called the Dome of the Rock. I have been in that Dome of the Rock as well and there is a rock there and and it's supposed to have been where Mohammed went up or something. I don't know, you know. And all they got all these stories built around it. But it was also where the temple sat. And uh, it's, it's a very sacred place. So the Jewish people worship outside of that Dome of the Rock, the Temple Mount, on the west side. And that's what you see pictures of, where they have the skull caps in there against the wall, called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. And that's where they pray. And some of that wall goes even uh, under uh, an old bridge that's there inside. And they, these Jewish guys will go in there and sit for hours and they will study. Because the temple is such a very vital part of them. There is a group of them uh, that is very committed to rebuilding the temple. They're very aggressive. They have acquired all the things that is necessary to go in the temple. And they're very aggressive and they keep the other Jews a little bit nervous because they're ready to make a run on the old, the old Temple Mount, you know, and make things happen. And so it's a very interesting thing and everything. So it keeps things a little bit in a turmoil there sometimes. And, uh, but it's a very interesting thing because it's all based on history. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about how the Jewish people felt about their temple and why they did. Because whenever the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, they brought them out of Egypt uh, about 14, 1400, 1,400 years before Christ. Uh, and Moses was their leader and everything. The Lord gave them what was called the tabernacle plan. Now, I'm going to show you just a picture of it. This, everything I show you here is an artist's drawings of it. And uh, the tabernacle plan was, uh, was the plan by which they would have their church in the wilderness. And... Uh, I'm not showing you the entire part of it. I'm just showing you here just the part that I want to talk to you about. Let me focus it here, excuse me. And uh, this is sort of the back half, but the tabernacle itself, there was an outer enclosure here. The tabernacle itself here uh, was like it had a tent over it and had layers of material and badger skin on top and so forth. And I won't get into all the details of all of that. But there were two rooms involved. Uh, here is a curtain. This is a cutaway. So you'll have to understand that you're looking at a cutaway to see the inside of the tabernacle. Uh, this cutaway here shows that the first room here uh, had the candlesticks and the showbread. And uh, then there was a curtain here. And behind this was a room that was actually in size 15 by 15 by 15 feet. 15 wide, 15 high, 15 is a cube. And in, this, in this, uh, this holy of holies, as it was called, nobody ever went in that room except the high priest once a year. And when he ever did, he would sprinkle the blood of the atonement upon the mercy seat. Now, inside was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant looks something like this. And this, again, is an artist's drawing. It had staves so it could be carried when they broke down the tent and they moved. And in the wilderness, they would tear everything down, not tear it, but break it down. And then the Levites would carry everything. Certain people were to handle certain things. And then it had, it had these cherub angels that were made of gold on each end of it here. 
so and their wings touched together in the middle here and the uh, this was called the mercy seat um, mercy seat that was underneath it here and the glory of God would come down upon it once a year and it would consume the blood off of that mercy seat after they had sacrificed and done the things they were to do and their sins were forgiven in one year for one year and then the next year they had to do it all over again when Jesus came uh, he was the sacrifice and his sacrifice was once and for all for all mankind that would come unto him and so this was the old tabernacle plan and that was the uh, Ark of the Covenant and so forth, the mercy seat. Uh, what I show you here is, uh, like I say, is these are all just artists' drawings here of those things. Now, uh, it was interesting that once that tabernacle was built and that mercy seat put there and those cherubims put there, this is where God would always speak to Moses. Now, I want you to go with me to Exodus uh, you know me, I, I confirm everything with scripture here. Look at Exodus 25, 17, 17 and verse 18 for just one minute. Exodus 25, 17. And, it's, and it says here in the uh, Lord is speaking to Moses, and thou shalt make a, a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. These were the angels. Uh, of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. Now he's told Moses what to build, how to build it. And I've just showed you here pictures. Artists, of course, conception of it. And then uh, it goes on to say here in the 20th, 20th verse, And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on the high covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. I guess I could put the picture up here again and you can see it while, I'm, while we're reading the scriptures. And, uh, and their wings and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat shall the face of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above, over and above the ark and the, uh, above the ark and in the ark and thou shalt put the testimony, testimony were the 10 commandments that I have given thee, that I shall give thee and there will I meet with thee and will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the covenant of all things which I will give in my commandments unto the children of Israel. Now, I want you to notice here how important it was for this uh, mercy seat and these cherubims and all of this to be there in place uh, in the tabernacle. Later, and I'm just reading this to confirm over in the book of Numbers, and I'm reading here from 789, chapter 7, verse 89, chapter 789 of Numbers. And it, and it says, and when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, that is God, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of testimony from between the two cherubims and he spake unto him. So it was from this point on that God would speak to Moses. Everybody get the picture. Now, time rocked alone, Moses passed away, and they had the tabernacle for some few hundred years. And then Solomon and David and Solomon came along, and David wanted to build a temple. And the Lord said, here's the design. Give it to your son. Your son shall build a temple. That was Solomon. And, of course, Solomon did build a temple. Uh, Solomon's temple, how, what it looked like, is not well known today because there's no description of it. Uh, what we do have here is a temple of Herod's temple that was in the New Testament. This is not an actual 
this is also an artist's drawing as well, but they have more detail on that because of Josephus who wrote all about it and described it and so forth. Now, the reason I'm showing you that is because when Solomon came along, uh, Solomon built the temple and that same ark was put then in the temple and the cherubims were there and so forth and it was between the, it was there in that place between the cherubims that God would speak to the children of Israel and his presence they thought was there centered on earth. This is a very important point because the Jews knew as long as they had the temple and they had the ark, they had God's presence with them and they had God's favor. So the temple represented the presence of God and the glory of God and the word of God coming unto them, praise God. So God would speak to them uh, in this fashion and, uh, and, it, and it continued on in that measure. Now, I'm gonna jump forward a little bit because what happened when all of these things developed, uh, they would use that temple to find out what the mind of God is. I'm gonna go, for instance, over here to the book of Isaiah to show you an example of that. When Hezekiah was king, and the king, the, the uh, Israel was in sort of a bad shape and they weren't doing right and living right and everything. And the Assyrians had conquered part of Israel in the north and they were trying to conquer the southern part of Israel, which was Judah, the south, and they wanted to take Jerusalem. And they told Hezekiah, don't you trust your God. If you trust your God, he's gonna fail you. You think he's bigger than this big army we got around, out here? And so they wrote a letter to Hezekiah and Hezekiah got scared and he went before the Lord and prayed. And this is a part of his prayer here. I'm reading here from Isaiah 37 and verse 15 and 16. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord saying, O Lord God, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims. Notice that. He's identifying him now as dwelling between the cherubims that is on the ark. And this is found about eight times in the Old Testament. God dwells between the cherubs and so forth. I have a reason for, 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 for mentioning all of this to you, and I'll bring this out in a few minutes. He says, Thou art the God of even thou alone, and of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. And uh, he goes on to, on down through verse 20, to, uh, to pray to God that God would somehow or another spare them. And the Lord sent Isaiah and said, Tell Hezekiah, they won't touch you. I've taken care of everything. And so the Syrians got word the next day that they had a revolt back in Assyria, back in Nineveh. They packed up and they left and they never came back again. That was the end of them. And so God, you know, answered the prayer for Hezekiah. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because time rocked alone. Babylonians conquered the Assyrians. And then later the Babylonians came and conquered Israel. And when they came in and conquered Israel, they looked at everything and they said to their king, we're going to take 10,000 of your choice young people back to Babylon with us. We won't destroy anything. You pay taxes to us and we'll just leave everything intact. And they said, okay, thank you. And so they took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and a lot of others that were 10 all together back to Babylon. This is how Daniel, when he was just a teenager, got over in Babylon. And they put him in the king's court. And so the book of Daniel is another story. He was a direct descendant of David and was involved with kingdoms. Much of his writings are all about kingdoms, the Gentile kingdoms and so forth. And uh, seven years later, uh, that was in 606 BC and in uh, 599 BC. 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar went back to Babylon, or back to Israel, and he said to the king, you haven't done what I've told you to do. You're not paying taxes like you're supposed to. I mean, he didn't do this personally. He sent word, you know that. And, uh, and so they took that man off the throne and they put his brother on the throne and said, now you pay taxes, you behave yourself and we'll treat you very kindly and everything will be fine. He took a few more of those young people and among those young people was Ezekiel, Ezekiel. Ezekiel was of the priesthood, which means they dealt with that temple. And so they took him then over to Babylon. And when they did, they were in a strange land. All of these, you know, Israelites, these Jews were in a strange country and, uh, and so forth. And so Ezekiel began to have his experience. Now, I want you to go with me, if you would, to the book of Ezekiel here. I want you to look at Ezekiel chapter 1 for a moment. I'm going to touch on a few things here with you. And uh, I have a reason for telling you this, because what Ezekiel found out was amazing and how it involves you and I today, what it has to do with you and I. But God's, God's promises, folks, are amazing. I've got some pictures I'm going to show you in a few moments that, that just absolutely is an amazing thing to see how the God's word is kept perpetually. And if you will learn to trust the word of God and believe the word of God, it will never fail you. Believe me, it will never fail you. And I'm trying to show you some things here how that God's word is still in effect because he made some promises to a people a long time ago. And it will help us to keep our faith if we remember that God just doesn't forget and God will not go back on his word. Now, in the book of Ezekiel, when Ezekiel was over there and he was now by himself and he was, he was called the country preacher where Daniel was called the city preacher. And Dan, Ezekiel was out on, on, by a river called Chebar and, and the Lord appeared to him. I'm read verse four. I'm trying to save time by skipping around a little bit. This is one four. And I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself and a brightness was about it and out of the midst thereof is the color of amber and out of the midst of the fire verse 5 also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures and this was their appearance they had the faces of a man and then it goes on to describe how the faces this way that way and so forth I won't read into the detail of that because that's not our point but it goes on to say finally over in verse 14 and the living creatures ran and returned and as the appearance of a flash of, a flash of lightning. So this is a vision that he had. And he saw this. It went on to say there was a wheel in the middle of the wheel, verse 16, as it were a wheel in the middle of the wheel. And he had this vision of all this, uh, all this activity and these living creatures and this fire. And verse 20 says, wherever the spirit was to go, they went. In other words, where God's spirit went, they went as well. And... Uh, Finally, I'm going to verse 26. I'm saving time here. What he saw was a phenomenal uh, vision here in the heavens of the glory and the power and the presence of God. Verse 26, and above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire throne and like the, appearance, the likeness of, a, of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man above it. And I saw as the color of the amber and the appearance of fire round about within it from the appearance of his loins even upward and from the appearance of his loins even downward and I saw as it were the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about uh, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud this is the rainbow 
And this means this is God because this rainbow was a covenant God made with the human race and he hasn't broken that vow. And that is that the earth will never be covered again by a flood. And that's why you, when you see the rainbow, it's God keeping his covenant, it's, it's a token of his covenant to us. And the rainbow represents God keeps his promises. He keeps his covenant. And as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud uh, in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake, so forth. Now, the, uh, this glory, this, what he saw amazed him because this was the glory of God. And Ezekiel is over in Babylon and he's saying, what's God's glory being here when God dwells between the cherubims in Jerusalem? What, what's, what's over here? Why is this? And, and he was a little bit confused by it. This appearance of the likeness of a throne and a fiery chariot comes from a Hebrew word called Merkava. Merkava is the Hebrew word for it. Merkava means a mobile throne, fiery chariot. When we were in Israel here several years ago, uh, we passed some, we were in Israel, we passed some tanks that were out on some maneuvers. And uh, our guide who was, uh, had been involved in something similar to the Navy SEALs in our, in our, in, in America here. But he was a high tech guy and these kind of things. But our guide said, these are some of our Israeli tanks. I said, and I said to him, are these the, are these the Merkavas? Yes, he said, they are. Let me show you something. He broke, broke open his, his iPad. And he said the reason they call them Merkava is because these chariots are so loaded with armor that they are awesome. And he said, here is one where they're all firing at the same time and they look like the whole tank, the war tank was just on fire. Guns going out, machine guns, everything firing at the same time. And he said, now you see why they call them Merkava. And it's taken from, I said, yeah, from the book of Ezekiel. He said, that's right. So we were all sort of on the same page. It was neat, you know, knowing that and everything. I just throw that in for what it's worth. But anyhow, Ezekiel got a call from God. And this second chapter of the book of Ezekiel is all about God calling Ezekiel and saying, Ezekiel, you know, I am going to do some things. And what eventually happened was that he, he took Ezekiel and, uh, and he said, because the people have defiled the temple and so forth, and uh, they are just not living right. I'm going to have to deal with them. And so he begins to work with them in this fashion. Now, I'm going to move over to, uh, uh, to one of the chapters. I think it was chapter uh, 7 where the Lord spoke to him again in another vision. And he spoke to him now about a year later. And he said, now, I'm going to talk to you again uh, Ezekiel, and I'm going to tell you some other things about it. And so, let me see if I can find the right chapter. Chapter 7. Well, that's one of those chapters. Anyhow, it's where the Lord speaks to Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, I'm going to take you to Jerusalem in a vision and everything. And so he took him and he lifted him up. This is chapter 8. This is chapter 8 where he had the vision. He said, I'm going to show you Jerusalem. And so here he is over in Babylon and the Lord gives him a vision and in the vision he's picked up and taken over to Jerusalem and he has shown the temple. And remember Ezekiel is a priest or others of the priesthood. And so he shows him the temple. I'm going to read a few verses to you. And here's what it says here, chapter eight, verse three. 
And he put, put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of mine hair. And the spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in a vision of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner court that looketh toward the north. Now I'm going to jump down to verse 4. This is 8-4 of Ezekiel. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain. Now remember, he picked him up in the vision and brought him right there into that inner court of Jerusalem. I'm talking to you here about the temple, and I'm talking to you here about the inside of that inner court. Uh, that's the temple. This is, like I say, the inner court is just the one I have on the tabernacle. I don't have the one on the, you know, on the temple. But this is the, uh, the inner court. And he brought him into that inner court. And uh, he says here in verse 4, and behold, the glory of God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain. The plain was back over in Babylon. He says the glory was there. In other words, he saw the same glory here that he saw over there whenever this fiery chariot and his macabre all appeared to him. Everybody stay with me? So in this vision now, he's back in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and he sees that glory again there in the temple. Well, that's the where that's where it's supposed to be, the glory of God in the temple. Verse 6, and he said, furthermore unto me, son of man, seest thou what they do with the great abominations that the house of Israel committed here that I should go far off from my sanctuary? But turn thee yet again, and, there, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And so throughout this eighth verse, chapter rather, God shows Ezekiel the abominations happening in, in Israel and how that is a turnoff from God. And then God shows Ezekiel what he's going to do. And look at chapter 9, verse 3. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub. That is the cherubs that were in the, in the, uh, in the Ark of the Covenant. I think I had a picture that I showed you. The cherubs. Let me get back to that one. All right, the glory of God, now he saw it go up from the cherubs, whereupon he was, he was to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with the linen which had the, the uh, writer's ink of the horn. So what he was saying, now the glory went up from the cherubs, and it's at the threshold, which is like the way that you go in. I'm jumping forward here very quickly. Chapter 10, verse 3. Now the cherubs stood on the right side of the house, uh, when the man went in and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house and the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of the brightness, the glory of God. And Ezekiel can say, oh, thank God, God's presence is still in Jerusalem. It's still in Israel. It's still in the temple. Everybody stay with me. And then going a little bit further to the 18th verse, then the glory of the, of the Lord departed from off the threshold, the, the threshold of the house. It left. And it stood over the cherubims. And the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up to the earth in my sight. And when they went out, the wheels also were beside them. And everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house and the glory of God of Israel was over them above. This is the living creature that I saw under God of Israel by the river Chebar, and I knew that they were the cherubims. And all of a sudden, he recognized that those living creatures that he saw in that first vision over in Babylon are the, are the same likeness 
of those cherubs that's in the temple that, that was made of gold that the Lord had told Moses to build those, those angels there and I would dwell in the midst of them. So what God is showing, what God is showing Ezekiel in all of this is that I am everywhere. There's no place that I am not. And Ezekiel said, how in the world could God dwell between the cherubs over there and over here now? I see him in Babylon. And God was showing him, but now what he was showing him here in particular is that God was leaving the temple. He was in the courts, and then he was on the threshold, and then it goes on to say here in the end of this, the 10th chapter, how that he, uh, that he was at the door of the east gate. The door is the door of the temple that led out into the east gate. Look at 11.1 here of Ezekiel. Moreover, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me unto the east gate of the Lord's house, which looketh eastward. I'm going to jump ahead again. I'm trying to save time here. I'm reading verse 23. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountains, which is on the east side of the city. So what you see here is a progression of the Lord showing Ezekiel how that his glory was leaving the temple, finally leaving the city of Jerusalem, and then finally in the 23rd verse here, of this 11th chapter, he shows him that he is on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was on the east side of, of Jerusalem. That's the one that you see pictures of that's taken often of Jerusalem uh, down below. Uh, it's still there, it's still all right there. Uh, this is a picture here that was taken uh, when we were over there, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. You can see, uh, you see pastor here, Pat, me, pastor, Dr. Myers, Jimmy, Jimmy and so forth, others. Uh, anyhow, there's a picture that was taken when we were over there and you see the Dome of the Rock over here behind it. Now where we're standing is the Mount of Olives and in between is the, is the, is the Valley of Kidron and, uh, and so forth. I'll, I just want to show you that to show you that the Dome of the Rock and how all of that is there. Now, this was where the temple used to sit. And so the Mount of Olives is on the, over on the east side. Now, let me talk to you. I really want to get into some things here that I think is going to uh, be a blessing to you. The, uh, the Babylonian captivity uh, came about finally the third time. Nebuchadnezzar brought his army in 588 B.C. into Babylon. The Lord had already showed Ezekiel, I'm going to leave the temple. And God's presence is no longer in Jerusalem. It's what he was showing in Ezekiel. No longer in Ezekiel. And God's, the scripture says, if any man defile the temple of God, him God will destroy. But also says uh, that the temple, of the, whole, the temple of God, when it's destroyed, God will destroy the temple. In 588 BC, Nebuchadnezzar came back and he took everything out of the temple and totally destroyed Solomon's temple. He took the Ark of the Covenant, he took all the gold, took all the silver, he took everything of wealth and everything and devastated Jerusalem, devastated the temple because they still were not paying their taxes like they were supposed to. I call them taxes. It was, a, you, know, it was a, you know, you pay us or we, we come back and destroy everything. And, and so, so they took it all and so that was the end of it. So the Lord showed Ezekiel it was all going to go, but it didn't mean God's presence was gone. You understand what I'm saying? And the Lord went on to show Ezekiel, I still have a presence 
and I still haven't forgotten Jerusalem, and I still haven't forgotten, praise the Lord, where my presence dwelt. Now, later on in the scriptures, and I want to, uh, I want to get into this when, when uh, the, the Lord, if I can, uh, let, me, let me get to the right scripture for this. Hang on just a second. There is a scripture in the Bible that talks about the Lord's, uh, let me find it here, I'm sorry. But it's the scripture that speaks about the Lord. The Lord told Ezekiel, Ezekiel, okay, here it is, Ezekiel 43 and 1. The Lord promises the Jewish people here that he's going to come back to that temple or back to that place, that location. 43, 1, afterwards he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looked the east. Now the gate looking toward the east is that eastern gate from the Mount of Olives that goes into Jerusalem and it goes right directly into the temple. It's the only gate into Jerusalem that goes into the temple compound. The only one. The north gate, west gate, and south gates all uh, go right into the city of Jerusalem. But the east gate goes right into the temple compound. So he says here in verse 40, chapter 43, verse 1, Abraham, he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. Now notice that. The glory of God came from the way of the east. Verse 4, and the glory of God came into the house by the way of the gate whose prospect is toward Israel, uh, toward the east. So he's saying that God's glory and God's presence is going to come from that direction. Now, I want to uh, read to you a scripture found here in Matthew uh, 21. Matthew 21. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem here. And it says here, and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and it came to Bethphage, this is Jesus now, uh, and to the Mount of Olives, that's that east side now, looking east toward the eastern gate. Then sent Jesus his two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against the straightway, and you shall find a donkey tied and a colt and a colt with her, and so forth. Bring them to me. And then they brought him to her, and then verse 8, I'm saving time, and a great multitude spread their garments in the way. This is called Palm Sunday. Most of us are familiar with it. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way, and the multitudes that went before. And that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, in the highest. And uh, when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? The multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet, the Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Verse 13, and said unto them, It is written, My house. Now, in some of the scriptures, says, he says, my father's house. Here in Matthew, he says, my house. Praise the Lord. Because Jesus and the Father are the same, <laughs> whether you know it or not. And he said, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves and everything. And so he rebuked them all of them, went on and said, he, the, verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And so the work of God was done in a marvelous way. It talks about Jesus entering into the temple then at this point. Uh, uh, then Jesus, for the last time, goes through that eastern gate going out after he had been crucified, after he had ascended, and he was fixing to depart 40 days later from his disciples. This is all recorded in chapter 
uh, chapter 1 of the book of Acts. I'm going to read these two verses and then stay with me. i got something very rich to give you here. Hang on. Acts 1, 9. Everybody still with me? And when he had spoken these words while they spake, he was now fixed to be caught up to heaven. He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And then these two angels appeared on each side of them. And then returned they unto Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. So they were on the Mount of Olives when all this happened. They were on the east side. And uh, these two angels, uh, verse 10, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Verse 11, which said unto them, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. When Jesus comes back again, not in the clouds to catch his people up, but when he comes back and touches the earth, it'll be at the Mount of Olives. And when it happens, that's right where he went up. Praise the Lord. And when he does that, Zechariah 14 describes it. Here's what Zechariah 14, 3 says. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed to the north and half toward the south. And there's much more here to be understood about it. Now, I'm just telling you that this is where Jesus is going to come, but there's something else I want to show you. Praise the Lord. Ezekiel, when he had this vision of all these things and all this happening and so forth, the Lord showed him something else. I want you to look at Ezekiel 44. He talked about how that he was... Am I still on? My battery... Am I still on? Okay. What's happening here? Am I okay? Okay. And so, and, and so the glory of the Lord would come through that gate. And uh, verse 4, I'm reading here, 43, 4. And the glory of God came into the house by the way of the gate whose project toward the east. Now, look at 44, 1. This is a prophecy. This is the very next chapter. This is what God showed Ezekiel. Then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary, which looketh toward the east, and it was shut. He said he unto me, this gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it, therefore it shall be shut. And that was a, that was a statement that was made. Praise God. Now, is that really the case? Huh? There's a picture of that wall. And there's the, there's the gate there. Let me give you a close-up picture of it. That's that wall up real close. That gate is sealed off. Sometime shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven, that eastern gate, the eastern gate was sealed off and it's never been opened for nearly 2,000 years. It's still shut and it will not be open until Jesus comes back and his feet stands there and that thing splits open. That mountain splits open. The Mount of Olives splits open. <clears throat> and the waters of God comes out. And that gate is shut. Amen. I don't know. I've got all kinds of pictures here. Here's another picture. 
There's a picture of the Dome of the Rock over here. And there's that eastern gate over here. See it? And right, you can't see it, but there's a straight shot from here over here where that if you were to, if you were to be down in this valley area here, uh, there is a church called the Church of All Nations. Hang in here with me. I got something good to show you. I got more stuff here. Where is it? Here it is. But over here in this valley, over here in this valley that's to the right, that's facing the gate, is a church. It's called the Church of All Nations. And in that, on that church, there are four statues that are right here on each one of these fronts. You can't see that, but if I were to show you a close-up with the evening sun setting on it, western sun, you can see the statue and the shadow behind it. See that? Those statues is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're facing the eastern gate. And they're holding a scroll in their arms. You can't see them. If I were to show you, this was a, is an attempt to get up real close to it. I can only show you three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But you can see them here. They're, they're holding a scroll like this. And where they're holding the scroll, and I'm going to read those verses to you. In Matthew, let me read it to you. You ready for it? <clears throat> this is Matthew 24, 30. And folks, this is there now. This is all right there now. The gates close, and here is a church over here that's got these statues of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're holding scriptures out, and they're looking at the gate. <laughs> they know that gate's going to have to be open, and Jesus is going to come through that gate. And, they, and whoever put all that there knew, praise the Lord, the Lord's going to come down at that point at Mount of Olives. Praise the Lord. And it says here in this 30th verse, I'm reading here from Matthew 24, 30. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and the power of great glory. <clears throat> and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. Now that's the one that's found in Matthew. Here's the one that's found in Mark. And if you were to read the inscriptions, uh, and I'm not sure they're in English, but anyhow, this is the scriptures you're taking from. If you were to read the scriptures here, it would say something similar to this if it's not in the English language. 1326, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the found for, for the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. And then here is the one that's found in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Luke. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things be, begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And I'm trying to show you here how that all of this is waiting for the Lord to come back. And, and, and John says, uh, the 14th chapter of St. John, uh, he says that, I go away, but I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And that's the one that's written in John. And what I'm simply showing you here today, folks, 
is that this is a living testimony. I mean, here is the gate shut, and it's been shut for 2,000 years. You see all those grave, those old tombstones that's in front of it? Did you see all the tombstones? Those are Muslim tombstones. Let me tell you why. See all those tombstones? Here's a better picture. Right here. See all those tombstones? The Muslims know that the Jews will not defile a graveyard. So they bear their own there and saying there's no way that Messiah will come through here. They won't put a road through here. And so it's to diffuse what they know is already written that their king is going to come through that eastern gate and it's going to be shut until he does come. But he won't come because the tombstones are there. I got news for you. It's going to split open when he comes back. Hallelujah. And I'm just telling you, hey, my last comment here before I wind her up is this, folks. Believe the word of God. Trust the word of God. Jesus is coming soon. And whenever denominational churches or whoever that is that built that church and the money that was put behind it and the artists that did it, they knew something about the scriptures. And they put that there and they said, and if, you, and if you're there and you stand there and you look, you see the church, you see those those statues and you look over here and you see the wall closed and right behind it then there's a dome of the rock you say yeah one of these days praise the lord it's going to happen amen and uh, that dome of the rock's going to go down amen and god is coming back amen and that's going to be the glory and the power of god's going to build the house and jesus christ is the presence of god and whenever he went back the first time amen he said you your my presence is in you you are the house of god Therefore, we are the house of God until he comes back. And when it does, the glory of God is going to again fill that place. Aren't you glad you know God? Let's stand together and praise him. Let's just worship him with our hearts.